God, how good it is to be able to sing about your faithfulness to us. God, if we were to each look at our lives and to think back through all the things that you have done for us, all the ways that you've shown up and provided for us, God, our chorus should be, great is thy faithfulness. Because you are a God who is intimately involved in our lives, intimately involved in guiding us, you are not content to just stay distant. And so, God, I thank you for that. As we continue to worship this morning, as we look at your word, God, would you guide us? Let your spirit uh, take the word that you have revealed to us and apply it to our hearts. Give us understanding. Challenge us in our thinking. Redirect our steps so that each of us would walk out of here changed because of encountering you, the living God, whose word is living and active. So we pray now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm here. Well, good morning again. Good morning again. We are uh, continuing in our study this, this morning, Sexuality by the Book. So I want to do a quick disclaimer because I forgot to do that when I was up here the first time. If you have little ears that you don't want hearing, um, you know, certain words that you don't want to have to explain too early in life, um, I would give you a moment here if you want to excuse them. Uh, let them go out to, to kids' church and that way you don't have to have that talk too early in life uh, with your kids. I uh, just wanted to give that disclaimer because we are in this series... And this series is one where we're taking four weeks, and what I'm trying to do is provide you with a foundational, uh, our foundation uh, as we think about sex and sexuality. Uh, we're going to the scriptures, and, and it's not uh, meant to be an exhaustive study this time around. By no stretch of the means, I'm keeping it very high level. I'm trying to um, lay that foundation so that it can impact our thinking, so that we have a platform from which we can speak, uh, we can filter uh, the things that we hear, um, so that we're not being tossed on every wave uh, by the wind uh, as this discussion is just you know, getting out of control, and, and it's in everything that we do. So that's what, that's what this series is about. Last week we started out uh, by looking at who God is because we said that our, our sexuality is actually more about God than it is about us. And so it starts with understanding who is God, how has he revealed himself, and that's going to bleed into today. And so what we, what we saw last week was that, that God has indeed revealed himself to us, and he's revealed himself as a plurality. He's revealed himself as Trinity, as a tri-unity. That was, uh, God is one God, but he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we looked at last week, all three of those uh, persons, they exist all at one time. We're not talking about uh, a God who revealed himself first as Father, shape-shifted, then became the Son, shape-shifted, and is now the Spirit. God has always existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's always existed in relationship. And so that has bearing on our sexuality and the intended purposes behind sex. Last week I started out with that assumption and I, and I said to you that uh, I'm not going to try to uh, do a defense of the Trinity last week and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to do that this week. That's for another time. We are going to assume that. And I know that's not a safe assumption, but I'm going to continue to assume that the, the scriptures reveal God as Trinity, a triunity. And I understand you may not be there or maybe you haven't, haven't thought about that uh, to, the, to the depths that 
maybe others have. And so I want you to understand, I'm, I'm operating from that assumption. The other assumption I, I shared with you up front is that I'm operating that there is indeed a God and he does exist and he was creator, the, the creator. And so I'm going to continue with that assumption this morning and, and, and I'm going to go a little bit further and I'm going to say to you as we look at uh, the first book of the Bible this morning, Genesis, we're going to get into the creation of humanity. And I know that when some people read about this creation of humanity, they are tempted to understand it as a myth, as just a story, as just one religion's way of explaining the beginnings of the world. But I'm making an assumption this morning that I'm going to stand on, and I know you, you may not be there, and that's okay, but that assumption is this, that when we read about God specially creating humanity, I believe he did that just as the scriptures reveal, that God actually was involved in the creation of humanity that it was not just an organism developing over time. So I'm going to start with that assumption this morning uh, and as we continue on, because this morning we're going to look at how we designed. Last week was how God has revealed himself, and we saw that he exists in a relationship. He's three, yet one. He's a plurality, yet he's a unity. He's many, but he's one. And what that means is he, all three of, of the persons of God have, have, have unified, and they're, they're all working toward the same person, purpose, and they're all one God, one being. And so you've got perfect unity and diversity. And this morning, we're going to go the next level and see, well, if that's how God has revealed himself, how are we designed? And so to do that, we're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And so go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1 if you'd like. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the, the chairs there in front of you. I invite you to grab that. And uh, it should be page 1. It, depending on how those Bibles are numbered, but it should be page one. It's the very first book of your Bible. The very first chapter is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter one this morning. And as you're flipping there, if you're using one of those pew Bibles and you don't have a Bible of your own, I invite you to take that one home with you. Let it be our gift to you so that you'll have a Bible that you can read. So Genesis chapter one, and we're just, we're going to highlight a few verses in chapter one, and then we're going to jump to chapter two, and then we're going to jump to chapter three. So we're going to be all right there in the same few pages this morning, and I'll have the verses up on the screen as well. Uh, but in Genesis chapter one, we've got the creation of the world, of all things, and it starts out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it gets more specific from there. God creates all the things on the earth, the plants, the moon, the stars, the sun, the animals. But then there comes this point in creation, in the sixth day, according to Genesis, where God created the crowning creation of, of all creations. And so look with me at, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So we, we come to this point in creation where God does something that's, that's unique and special, set apart from all the rest of his creation. He creates humanity. He creates the first people. And so he says, let me make mankind in my image. Is that, is that what he said? No. Look back at what he said. He said, let us make humankind in our image. That's key. Here you've got God speaking into creation, and he comes to the point where it's time to create humankind, and he says, let us make him in our image. This is why I started out last week with how has God revealed himself? 
Because it's important to understand that throughout the scriptures, God has revealed himself not just as one solitary God like Allah, but he is one God who exists as three persons, always existing as three persons. And the three exist in relationship. They exist in community. There's, there's, there's conversations that take place between the three persons of the Godhead, as we would say. And so God comes to this point in creation. He says, let us, God, the three of us, let us make humankind in our image. And so God is starting out by saying, the way that I have revealed myself, some of that is going to be represented in the way we create and design humanity. And so he says, let, a, let us make them in our image, according to our likeness. And it's not that, it's not that God is saying, uh, we're going to make humanity and they're going to have two feet and two arms and two eyes and a nose with two nostrils and one mouth and two ears, because that's exactly how God looks. God doesn't look that way. God does not exist in a body. Jesus came and he took on the form of a human body. And the scriptures tell us that when we see Christ in heaven or when he returns, he will still have that human body only in a glorified sense, in a perfect sense. But God himself, John in, in his gospel says, is spirit. He's not confined by a body. So when God says, let us make mankind in our image, he's not saying, let us shape mankind so that when people look at man, they know what I look like. That's not it. The concept of bearing God's image is one of representing God. When God says, let us make mankind in our image, what he's saying is, let us make this, this creation, this set-apart, unique part of creation, and mankind is going to go out and represent God to the rest of, of creation. Mankind is going to go and, and, and have the similarities of God. There's things that we share with, about God. So uh, some of those things on the list is, is really quite long, but the ability to think and to reason, to make logical decisions and conclusions, that's something that we have, all humanity has, that is part of the image of God. Animals do not have this. Animals do not have the same ability to reason and to think rationally. But we do. Uh, we, have, we have freedom of will. We, we can make decisions and we make our own choices and we, 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 we don't have someone who, who has to um, direct our, uh, like a chess piece, they don't guide us and, and say, well, you're going to do this now and you're going to do this now. We are given the power and the freedom that sets us apart from all creation. And it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. We have emotions. You know, we feel things, we express things. That's part of being made in the image of God. There's a, there's a long list of things that we could say, this is part of being made in the image of God. This is part of being made in the image of God. But the, the bottom line is, part of being made in the image of God is representing God to creation. And as we go on and read in, in Genesis chapter 1, we see one of, one of the elements of the image of God in humanity is this. When he says, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, over all the creatures, so that they may rule. As humanity, as man and woman, as humankind, we are made in the image of God. And part of what God intended was that as people who bear his image, we represent him among creation. And the way that humanity was intended to represent God among creation was to rule over the rest of creation.
This is key because it, it shows us that we're different from animals. We are set apart from animals. We are set apart from all other creation. That has bearing on our sexuality and the way we, we use and express our sexuality. Because if we are animals, it has a whole different a whole different path we go down. But if we are distinct from animals, in fact, above animals, we're a higher creation than animals. We were intended to rule and express rulership over creation. God says, let us make man in our image so that they may rule. And in verse 27, he goes on, and, and we see in verse 27 that God creates them, he creates them in his own image, and he created them male and female in the image of God. And so we see that being made in the image of God is not just a male thing, and it's not just a female thing. God created humanity, male and female, and says they're made in the image of God. Men, males, bear the image of God. Females bear the image of God. There's not an inequality in the personhood of a male and a female. All people are, are, are made equal in that sense because they are bare the image of God. It's part of what our constitution is built upon. It's going back to that understanding of creation. But there's differences between males and females. I think you would all acknowledge that, right? Hello? Hello? Yes? Yeah. We, it's okay. We can shake our head. There are differences. I'm not listing those differences, but there are differences, right? There, there's emotional uh, and immaterial differences as well as physical. Everyone notices that. Everyone knows that. So what does that mean if we're all made in the image of God, males and females? It means that some of the things that males have, possessed, the way we operate, things like that, represent God and his image that the, the female does not have. And then on the flip side, some of the things that the female has and the way she's designed that the male does not have and the way she operates and the way she thinks represents the image of God. So you've got two different sexes, male and female, both designed in the image of God. Not, not, they're not lesser. They have different functions. They have different designs and different roles. And somehow both of them represent God. If God exists in relationship... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all different people, right? Different, different persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They're all different. They all have different roles. They all have different things that they did in creation. They all have different ways that they work. They don't all compete to do the same thing. They exist in a complementary relationship, which means the Father operates and, and oversees certain things. The Son operates and oversees certain things. And the Spirit operates and oversees certain things. They're all different, but they all work together in a unified way. And they exist in perfect harmony and a complementary relationship. If the image of God is in male and female, then it means that we were created to exist in a complementary relationship, one that's unified. One in which when a male and a female come together in a relationship, and particularly in a, in a sexual relationship, the image of God is represented in a way that's unique, that you don't have with just a male or just a female operating on their own. In fact, as we go on to Genesis chapter 2, we see that. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 18. What you have going on in Genesis chapter 2 is, is uh, another account of creation, but it, it kind of focuses in and, and hones in on the creation of humanity. 
So Genesis chapter 1 is kind of the broad view of creation. Genesis chapter 2 focuses in on the creation of humanity. And so we get some more details here, and we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now of all the creation that God did, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, And God looked at it, and it was good. But there comes a point in Genesis chapter 2 where there's one thing in creation that was not good. Look with me at Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. Of all the things that God created, there's one thing that was not good, but it's not because God is not good. It's not because it slipped God's mind. It's not because God somehow forgot this part of his creation. What I think is going on here is the author of Genesis is trying to draw our attention to the intentionality and the purposefulness behind God creating the woman. And so we go on. God says it's not good for man to be alone. Verse 19, So the Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field and every bird of the air. He brought them to the man to see, that, see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man named all the animals, verse 20, the birds of the air and the living creatures of the field, but for Adam, no companion who corresponded to him was found. Now I get a kick out of this, because God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so then God allows the man to go through this process by himself, Adam, goes through this process, and all these animals, I guess, I'm picturing it this way, come to him, and he's looking at him and he's saying, okay, you're going to be called a uh, pig. You're going to be called a cow, you know. And, and, and as he's going through this process, somehow through the process, he became aware that every creature that God has brought to him has another counterpart. So the males have a female, and they correspond to one another. And there's differences. Now, I'm going to step back here for a minute, because I, I got some unique insight into this this week. Uh, I was helping one of you guys um, brand some cattle this week and uh, get some vaccinations. And, and I was not part of the other part, but here's what I saw take place, right? So there, there's another part that takes place where the bulls, they have a, a bit of a load they carry that needs to be lightened. Okay? Right? And this, and this particular day involves some, some special rubber bands. Right? Now, when, when the bull would get into the, the sheep, it wasn't always apparently clear whether that was a bull or whether, whether it was a steer. Right? And so what, what had to take place, God bless you who, who did this, right? You had to get underneath there and, and, and feel if he had a load down there, right? I'm, I, I'm trying to be euphemistic here, but I can just now, after seeing that, I can just now appreciate Adam's task a little bit more. I mean, all of the creatures, he's naming them, and somehow he comes to the conclusion that every creature has a male and a female. They have a, part, a counterpart, and they correspond, and there's differences. And he had to figure out those differences so that he can go, hey, I don't have one of, one of those. Where's my counterpart? And he realized he was alone. That must have been a special kind of awkward in that moment. But God used that, that period of time where, where Adam is, is naming all these creatures to make him aware of his loneliness. To make him aware of what he lacked. And so, and so God says, go ahead and name all these animals. And in the process, Adam realizes every animal I've named has a complementary counterpart. The male has a female, or the female has a male. And there's differences. But I don't have that. And so God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and after Adam's named all the animals, look with me now at verse 21. He realizes he has no, one, no companion who corresponded to him. And so verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
while he was asleep, he took part of the man's side and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man, and he, thought, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, That is why man leaves his father and mother, unites with his wife, and they become a new family. And so God does the first surgery. After Adam has been made aware that he has no companion who corresponds to him, he, he, he becomes aware of his loneliness. God puts him to sleep. And, and he starts to cut on Adam, and he pulls out a part of Adam's side. And from that, that side of Adam, of that very first man, God then fashions out this woman. And then when Adam is woken up, he brings the woman to her. And Adam gets it. Adam gets what just took place because he says, finally, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's come from me. This is kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with the story. God just created man. He created woman from man. But have you ever stepped back for a moment and, and taken those, those glasses off and then instead put on the glasses of maybe someone who's reading the Bible for the first time or who didn't grow up around church and you read this? Do, do you see what we're reading? The creation of the first people, the book of Genesis is saying, well, man is formed from the ground and then God takes part of this man and he fashions the woman out of it and then brings, it, brings the woman to the man so that the man finally says, hey, this is, she's, she's part of me. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? No? Yes? Anybody awake out there this morning? Okay. I will confess to you, that's crazy. If I take my, my Christian glasses off, if I take my, I grew up in church and I went to college for this kind of stuff, glasses off, and I put my glasses on that, that says, uh, the glasses that, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian or I've never read the Bible, I read that, that sounds crazy. But remember, I said, I'm, I'm starting with an assumption here that God did exactly what he says he did because that assumption rests on me believing that the Bible is God's very word. Remember, that's one of our core values here is that the Bible is God's word. We stand on the Bible. And while it may not make sense and while it may seem kind of weird and off, that's not my job to, to, to make sense of it. But understanding what just happened here in Genesis, that God took part of the man's side and made woman, is key to understanding our sexual design and how we express our sexuality. See, Adam gets it. She's from me. She, she, she's part of me. She came out of me, and she was made to come alongside. Now, remember, God said, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, all the, the cattle and the land. God created the woman to come alongside man in a complementary manner, not a less equal, not, not in, a, in a way where the man is supposed to dominate her, but in a way where the two, side by side, bringing each what they have to bear in the image of God together in a complementary relationship where there's two people, but they serve one purpose. They were supposed to rule together. They were supposed to represent God together among creation. It's how we're designed. We were created for intimacy. We were created to exist and to be a part of intimate and complementary relationships. Now I want to step back for a moment because that doesn't necessarily mean sexually. 
That is one component of it. But men and women in the church who are not involved in romantic relationships, who are not married and, and engaged sexually, men and women in the church, when we operate and we bring our differences and our gifts to bear and we do so to serve one purpose, we're representing the image of God in complementary relationships. Two people design different ways, bringing different things to bear, different ways of thinking, different ways of operating, all in a unified purpose. That represents how God has revealed himself. Multiple people, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all different, all unified. And so we were designed to operate in complementary ways and to represent God through those relationships. Because some of the things that the woman is made with is different from some of the things that the man is made with, and both are created in the image of God. And so we were created to be in complementary relationships and to represent God in doing that. One of them is through sexual relationships, and that's where we're focusing in on our series, so that's why we're, we're going we're to stay focused on that. But let me say that this, though. This is how we're designed this is how, how God created him, so much so that if you keep reading in verse 24 of chapter 2, the, the author of Genesis says, this is why we go off and marry. This is why a man goes and he, he leaves his family, he takes the woman as his wife, and the two become one. They become a new family. The understanding is the reason we do this is because of how God created us, our origins. Because men and women were created to be in that complementary relationship so that they can rule and represent God together. That's, that's what verse 24 says. This is why a man goes off and takes a, a wife, and the two shall become one. They become one new, new family. And in doing that, there's a representation of the image of God. Now, what I've been doing last week and this week thus far is I'm holding up before you an ideal. And I'm doing that very intentionally. I'm holding up before you an ideal. I'm holding up before you God's greatness and how he has revealed himself and how he's been created. And, and so far this morning, I'm holding up before you how we are designed and how we're created and what the intended purpose be behind our design is, particularly when it relates to sexuality. God created us intentionally two different sexes so that they can, they can exist complementary. Now, when I said last week that for the Christian, for the believer, there is the potential for uh, our sexuality and the expression of that through sex to be worship for God. I know that weirded you out. I know it did. And that's okay. But when I say that, I again am holding up an ideal. What's, what's possible? What, what the intended purpose is? But let's be honest. Most of us, we're not going to experience the ideal. And if we have moments of that, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, there, there are relationships, there are marriages that, that may never experience anything like this. Maybe because there's been some kind of abuse. Uh, maybe, maybe because uh, one partner in the marriage has used sex as a tool for abuse, and so there's never going to be a moment where the abused person is going to be able to experience worship. Or, or, or maybe, maybe for some, they're not even physically able to have sex. And so to say uh, that we represent the image of God and that sex can be a, a form of worship for the person who doesn't have sex uh, or, or the ability to have sex is limiting. Or, or maybe it's that there's no joy behind that for some. It's really just a duty. It's just, I'm just, I'm just doing this because 
I want to make him or her happy. I don't want to have to fight later on. You know, whatever the case may be, we live in a broken world. We are broken. The image of God that we were created to bear has been corrupted. And so we don't readily experience this idea that I'm holding up before you. But I want to hold up that idea because we have to understand how we were designed and how God has revealed himself so that we know what our, what our sexuality was intended for and what sex is intended for. And then now we can move into chapter 3 where we see how the image was corrupted and why we struggle today, particularly with this area of sexuality and sex. And so as we move into Genesis chapter 3, we see this tragic event that takes place. It's that event where, where the woman is in the garden and, and God had said, man, you can have all the fruit of all these trees, but just not this one. Just not this one. God gave them plenty to pick from. He provided all they need, but he just said, this one I want you to stay away from. But it was that fateful day where the, the woman was in the garden and the serpent, Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes and, and he persuades her to take of that one fruit that God said, no, don't take that one. And in that moment where the woman stops depending upon God for all that she has, all that she needs, and instead sees something that she thinks she needs, and she goes and she depends upon that serpent, and she depends upon what she can do for herself, in that moment, sin entered into the human race. And, it, and, and the image of God that we bear was corrupted. It wasn't erased. Humanity still has the image of God. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, if you're a believer or an unbeliever, it doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum. You bear the image of God. We all do. The question is, is that image of God being uh, renewed? Is it are we living in a situation where we're representing our Creator or not? And so what happens is the image of God has been corrupted. And, and whereas Adam and Eve at one point in their, in their relationship, in their existence, they were in perfect harmony and perfect unity with God. They had, they had no separateness from God in their relationship. It was all open channels, all purity, uh, a pure in their relationship. And so therefore they were free to relate with one another in a way that was pure and untainted. They had no needs that they lacked and so they had no reason to demand of one another. All their needs all that they needed, all that they, they were designed to have was met by God and their relationship with Him. And so therefore, they were freed to give of themselves to one another. So much so that at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says, and they were naked and unashamed. There, there was no shame in being naked for them. There was no shame in their sexuality. There was no shame in their sexual relationship. But it is when sin enters and corrupted the image that we bear that our relationship with God was separated. All of humanity it was separated. And so what happened was, uh, where once humanity was getting all that they need and all that they, they were designed for directly from God, that's no longer the case now. And so we have needs that are unmet, we have needs that are unsatisfied, and so we go looking for them. And what happens is we go looking for them from one another. And remember I said at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, go and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle of the land. The, the intended design for humanity was that a woman and a man would come together in a complementary relationship, representing the image of God in a more full way, and they were to, uh, in a unified way, rule over creation, representing God. 
Look with me at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Because what happened as part of the fall, part of sin in the world, is things got flip-flopped. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God is pronouncing the curses. Here's what's going to happen as a result of what, what humanity has done. And he tells the serpent, hey, you're gonna, your feet are gone. You're going to sleep on your belly for the rest of your life. But he says in Genesis 3.16 to the woman, and really we're going to be focusing on that second part, but for the sake of context, verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. Now, now clue into this. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. The word there is the same word, to rule. In fact, it shows up one more time in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain and Abel, brothers, they have a fight. Cain kills Abel. And, and God says to Cain, why are you downcast? Why is your soul uh, downcast? And, and then God has this moment where he says, if you did right, wouldn't your countenance be up? But instead, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to rule over you. Same word. And so what God is saying is now, whereas once before, because you guys, you're, you, you, both male and female, your, your relationship with God was unbroken. You had all your needs met. And therefore, you were freed up to serve one another and to give of yourselves to one another in a way that's complementary and unified. Now that's not the case. And so what's going to happen now is this battle ensues, whereas once we didn't have to demand of one another to meet our needs, now we do. And, and, and what happens is we resort to manipulating one another to get what we want. And this happens in all types of relationships, not just marriages, not just, not just in sexual relationships. It happens in all types of relationships. I've got a need. I've got a desire. I think you can meet it. I'm going to manipulate you so that I get the response from you that I want. Whatever that would be. If it's praise I'm looking for, I'm going to figure out a way to manipulate you. I'm going to figure out a way to drop before you whatever it is I think I'm praise, praiseworthy of so that I get from you what I want. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And what happens is we, we get into this, this competition now. Instead of being in a complementary relationship where we're, we're bringing what we're each designed with to bear, we now compete. And so God says, the woman is now going to want to rule over the husband. Whereas before God created her to come alongside the husband so that they would together rule over creation, now she wants to rule over her husband. But God says that's not going to win over because now the husband, instead of ruling alongside in a complementary relationship with the woman, is going to try to dominate the woman. And so you've got this competition now, whereas once it was supposed to be a complementary relationship that the image of God then is, is made known and, and clearly seen, now you've got a fight and a competition taking place between, between the two sexes. And as we put that into a context where there's a sexual relationship, now what we do is we seek our own pleasure, our own desires. It's more about, uh, I, I want to get my satisfaction. I want to get what I deserve. And we, we fail to consider one another. And so sexuality and sex has become tainted, and it has become shameful, and it has become, in some cases, abusive. And it was never intended to be that way. But it has been something now that we've also raised up to a position where we worship it. It was never meant to be that way either. Instead, what was supposed to happen is that through this type of relationship, it was supposed to be yet one other thing that points us to our Creator. 
It was supposed to be yet one other thing that when we experience the joy and the delight and the pleasure that God has designed to come with our sexuality, it was supposed to point us to the God who delights in us and in his Son. But instead now, we have, we have stopped paying attention to, to God and instead we stop here at the lower level and all we focus on is sex. All we focus on is sexuality and how it can serve us, how it can serve me, what I need. And so now it's tainted. So let me step back again for a moment, pause, because I want to say something to, to those of you in here who are single, my single friends. Whether that's single because God has called you to be single, whether that's single because circumstances of life have, have put you in a, in a state of being single, whatever that may be, here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying this morning is that if you're single, you somehow lack some, some, some of the image of God. And what I'm not saying is that you have to be involved in a sexual, complementary relationship with a man or a woman in order to fully bear the image of God. I'm not saying that. God has not called everyone to be in that kind of relationship. God calls some people to be single. And while it is true that when, when a man and a woman do come together sexually, there is a unique relationship there, and it does point to God in a, in a unique way, it's not to leave you out. It's not to say that you are somehow less or somehow lacking. In fact, Paul would say to you later in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, he says, if you're called to be single or you find yourself in a state of being single, use that time, that season, however long it may be, to pursue the Lord. Because you can do it in a way that is undivided. Whereas those of us who are married, those of us who are in, in relationship, we can't pursue the Lord in the same way you can. We're divided because we have responsibilities to a family, to a husband or wife, to kids, and those things are priority. But you don't have that hindering you. And both situations are good. One is not less than the other. And, and remember, male and female are both made in the image of God. You don't lack the image of God. And so what I want to say to you, and I'm so proud of you, for those of you that are already doing this, is serve the Lord with your singleness for however long that may be. Because as you do that, you are representing God and representing the image of God that you bear in the ways that he has gifted you, skilled you, and among the people that he has placed you in. But for those, uh, those who are in a relationship where we are sexually involved, in marriage, we are representing the image of God in a whole different way. We are, we are representing the, God, the, the, the image of God in a way that, that is unique above all else. And so as we do that, we need to do it in a way that represents God. Now, I said the image of God has been corrupted in us. So how are we supposed to do that? I mean, we're all broken. We're all trying to demand of one another to, to get our needs met. How am I supposed to go and represent the image of God through a sexual relationship if I'm broken? If, if, if that image is corrupted? The image is still there, but it's corrupted. Fast forward to the New Testament. What Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and we looked at it last week, where he says, And Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the image of God. God's plan his plan of redemption. It's, it's really the story of creation, and then there's the fall, and then there's God's plan to redeem and to restore. 
is that the image that you and I bear that has been corrupted, it can be renewed and it can be redeemed. And God's plan is to do that through Christ, his perfect image. And so what God's plan is, is that when, when Christ came on the scene and he lived and he died, he lived that perfect life, he lived that righteous life, so that those of us who were unrighteous, which was every single one of us, every single one of us who had been corrupted by the fall of sin, would have in Christ the opportunity to be redeemed and to be made new. And part of that is this image that we bear being made new. And so when we place our trust in Christ, the scriptures talk about us being in Christ. And that image begins to be renewed so that once we, we didn't think like Christ, but now in Christ we have the ability to change the way we think so that it can come back in line with God. And the once the way that we live did not line up with representing God, but now in Christ we are given the Spirit so that He empowers us so that we can live in such a way that we now, uh, the image of God is being renewed in us. And every single one, whether you're in a relationship or whether you're called to a state of being single, that is the case if you place your trust in Christ. That is God's plan, is that that image that we bear so that we were supposed to represent Him by ruling over creation, it now gets renewed in Christ. And there will be a day where Christ comes back and He will rule. And God's plan of creation will be fulfilled as it was originally designed. Humanity made in the image of God, ruling over all creation. And it will be fulfilled as Christ comes and rules over all creation. And if we're in Christ, we rule alongside of him. And so this brokenness that we all have, that we all experience and feel and interact with, it has the potential to be renewed so that our sexual relationship with our husband, with our wife, doesn't have to be about me demanding from you what I want or you demanding from me what you want or manipulating one another to get what we want, when we want. But instead, when we place our trust in Christ, we now have that, that spirit that he gives us to indwell us. And so through that spirit, God makes his love known to us. We experience it. He makes all the things that we need to be satisfied, all of our deepest longings, all those deep itches that we feel are now satisfied again in God if we will live by that Spirit. And if we do that, then we're freed up again, just like they were in the garden, where our needs are met by God. I don't have a need to demand of you. I don't have a need to manipulate you. Instead, I'm freed up to give of myself. And if, it's in, if that's in a marriage and a sexual relationship, it means I'm freed up to be able to give of myself without requiring anything in return. And in doing so, that complementary relationship is restored. Because that's how we were designed. God designed our sexuality to represent God. So last week when I said our sexuality is more about God than it is about us, we have to start there because our culture does not start there. It starts with us. And when I said to you earlier, uh, uh, a few minutes ago, when I said that we are different from, uh, from all animals, we are different from them, we actually were designed to rule over them. If I'm different from an animal, then that has bearing on my sexuality. It, it, it means I don't have to just go around and seek to fill my desires just to populate the earth. There's more that God intended from our sexuality and our sex. And it was very purposeful and very intentional. And God designed our sexuality to represent God. Male 
and female. He intentionally designed two sexes because both of them bring something that represent the image of God in a unique way. And when the two come together like they were intended to in a complementary relationship that's unified, it represents God in a way that it was more intended to do so. Because our sexuality is not first about us. It's first about God. And as we live it out, and as we express it, it should be done in a way that's representing God. That's a lot. And I know this is an uncomfortable topic. Most of you probably don't want to be sitting here listening to this. It's like I had this talk when I was 13 years old, you know? I'd have to go through it again. It's awkward. But we live in a culture that is not shying away from this. We live in a culture that is redefining all of this. And and, and we live in a culture that is, is trying to change the way we think about this so that we live differently. If we start with us, all of that's fair game. If, if we are just a highly evolved animal, if we're just the highest level of creation, then everything's fair game. But if we have a God who revealed himself to us, and then he created us and designed us to bear his image and represent him, then all those things have to be run through that filter and that grid. And that should instead inform the way we live, the way we view sexuality, and the way we express it. Because God designed us. He designed our sexuality to represent God. And when you get that, it provides a foundation for you to start filtering everything else that you're hearing, everything else that you experience. And what you'll start to see, and this may sound ridiculous, I know, but what you'll start to see is the things we settle for with our sexual relationships is exactly that. We're settling we're, we're taking something that was meant for so much more and we're just settling with, got what I wanted. When God says, this is designed to point you to me so that your delight in God grows even deeper. So that your delight in the very one who designed you would flourish and you would experience pleasure and satisfaction beyond what you're able. And you know what? I know, I get it. It's good, right? I get it. But even what we think is good and feels good, man, it's settling if we don't represent God with it. It's settling for something. It's diminishing what God has designed if we don't pursue it the way he has designed us to pursue it. Don't you want all that God has designed us for? Don't you want all that he has created us for and wants to offer us? Why on earth would we settle for something so much less than what God has designed us for? Because he designed our sexuality to represent him. And so God, I pray that you would take these things, and I I know some of this is hard to, to wrap our minds around. So God, we need your spirit to stretch our rubber bands. You know, it's not enough in our culture to just say, don't do this, don't do that, because the Bible says so. God, that that doesn't motivate us. It's law when we phrase it like that. But God, if we can understand how you've designed us and, and what we were created for and who you are, then we start to understand that there's so much more that you intend. 
And there's so much more that, that, that you want us to understand about you and that all that you've designed in us is designed to point us to you, designed to point others to you. So God, forgive us when we settle for so much less than what you've designed. Forgive us when we elevate something that you've designed to point us toward you and to, to cause us to delight even more deeply in you. Forgive us Lord, when we instead delight in that thing alone. And we say to you, it's enough. We don't want more. We're content with less. God, would you renew us? Father, I know there are some this morning who they don't know what it means to be renewed. They know what it means to be broken. We all do. But maybe they've never heard that you have this plan where you renew us. So God, I pray this morning that you would open their eyes, open their hearts, that they would understand that your love was not content to be kept to yourself, but instead you gave of yourself when you sent Christ, and that he lived a righteous life and he died in our place. We deserved it, but then he rose from the dead, conquering death. And because he rose from the dead to new life, now we, when we place our trust in what he has done, you give us new life and you renew what is corrupted in us. And we begin this journey then with you, God, where we are restored and reconciled in our relationship with you so that our deepest longings that were created and designed to be met by you can once again find fulfillment. God, I pray for those this morning who need to know that reconciliation, that renewing. Would you draw them to you so that they would place their trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and receive a new life, life that is full and life that lasts and life that has so much more to offer. And for all of us, God, would you help us to live that new life? And particularly as we focus on this series, will you renew the way we think about our sexuality and about sex? Restore relationships, restore marriages. God, where there's abuse, I pray that it would diminish. Help us to be people who would, instead of seeking to manipulate to get what we want, would instead freely give of ourselves because in you we have all things met. God, I ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Yeah, let me dismiss us. God has invited you into his candy store, and he says, you can pick anything that you want. Don't settle for the candy that's on the bottom shelf when the higher quality candy is just a little bit higher, and God's willing to help you get there. Wait for it. Depend on him to get it so that you can more fully delight in him. Do the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.